Going to school, my mom would drive us to school and um, we would pray in Spanish because she wanted us to learn how to recite our, you know, our fathers and our Marys and our Gorbis in English and in Spanish. It's actually kind of funny because I find it, I find that when I pray in Spanish, that my prayers feel like they're more powerful. Like whenever I speak in Spanish and I pray in Spanish, I feel like God can hear me better. I don't know. It's just like a weird thing. I guess because it's more intentional. Today on the Breathe Faith and Creativity podcast, we chat with Los Angeles-based poet Alexandria Espinosa. We talk writing, navigating motherhood, faith, and recovering from COVID-19. We have a very dynamic show for you today, so let's get at it. Welcome to the Breathe podcast where we explore the intersection of faith and creativity. We interview artists from all walks of life to discover how faith plays a role in their art and expression, hoping to encourage you to live a life of creativity and faith. And now, please welcome your co-hosts, Derek Engoy, Christian Mendoza, and Kevin Horton. Yep, yep. Welcome back to the Breathe Faith and Creativity podcast and Happy New Year. It is 2021. What's up, guys? How y'all doing? Oh my gosh, I feel Happy. old. <laughs> Happy New Year, everyone. Yeah. Happy oh, hey, hey, check, check this out. Check this out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, waited, I waited all year for that. <laughs> Yo, we, we're partying up here. That's right. We're, we, See, that's 2021. 2020 sounds like a, a rotten tire. <laughs> Man, we made who's it, guys. Step, who's stepping on dead geese? <laughs> <laughs> Ringing the new year with dead geese, y'all. Happy New Year, everyone. Yeah. Thank you for staying. That sounds like a punk band. (laughs) Thank you, everyone, for listening in. I know we launched, what, two episodes at the end of last year, 2020, and we have a lineup scheduled for you this year. In fact, right before we recorded today, we were talking about a bunch of different guests that we have lined up. So uh, it's going to be an amazing 2021. Um, But hey, guys, how are you guys doing? Let's check in real quick. Uh, How was your New Year's? Pretty awesome. I'm, I'm uh, this year started. Well, pretty much just mural, mural, mural. But that, that's right. Week. That's but, right. But what I actually got asked to do is actually to draw Kevin's dog. So I'm kind of looking forward to uh, doing some boxers. Nice. Uh, you know, it's always it's always being open to learning new things. And I guess you know people are kind of liking my animal forms, and it's just naturally evolving from there. So Kevin, I'm going to draw your dogs and Ooh, your yeah. cat. You got a cat too, Kevin? Groovy. Yes, I do. I can't hang out with you, man. I get all itchy when I go if I go to your house. And, and the cat <laughs> rules the house. <laughs> so what's up with Kevin and Garfield hanging out at his house, man? Garfield. Hey, man. <laughs> what's, the, what's the other dog's name? Odie. Odie. I, yeah. I relate to Odie. Just stares into space and does, and then the cat gets mad at him and he does dumb things. Yeah. Oh, hey, by Odie. the way, Kevin, uh, I I checked out your um voice benders is pretty cool what'd you think yeah it was pretty cool i i you know i i gotta admit though i fast forwarded to your your pieces um i'm gonna take some time to go back and listen to the whole show but 
I wanted to make sure I, I caught you. So I looked at the little notes there uh, on YouTube and I fast forwarded to the time where I knew you were going to be on. It's pretty cool. I really liked your, um, your, uh, uh, what is it? Boris Cronkite. Boris Cronkite. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's a hybrid of Boris Karloff and Walter Cronkite. And, and if they, if they ever had a kid, that's who it is. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, uh, horror and nightly news. All, all, all had a baby, and uh, that's what you would get, right? Kind of like 2020. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> if, two, if 2020 had a voice, it would be Boris. Uh, uh, it would sound like a dead goose. <laughs> Man, we welcome. just we're just partying up here. 2021. Hey guys, so I got a couple questions for you before we dive in. Um, Let's do it. I know 2020 was, uh, you know, for for many, it was such a odd year. Of course, you know, it started the year off with Kobe's death, which was horrible, which Chris, I remember it was like right after I preached a sermon, the first person that, 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 that came to me yeah. after I, I finished preaching was you and said, dude, Kobe died. And I was like, what? Dude, sorry to be the group reaper, man, but <laughs> man. So rest in peace, Kobe. Uh, and then from there, COVID hit and then we had social unrest and then COVID and then the political landscape got ugly and then election fraud. And so 2020, was horrible by many people's counts. But one question I want to ask you guys is what's one positive thing you're taking from last year? And then the second question, the second part to that is what are some healthy habits you're looking forward to implement this year? One positive is family togetherness. Yeah. And as I mentioned a couple of shows ago, I, I spent so much time during quarantine in my backyard. There were things about my backyard that I didn't really know existed, Yeah, but I realized there's so many people things back there and so just solitude and family togetherness it's good and what about one or two healthy habits you're looking to implement this year taking the positive things out of quarantine which is like i mentioned a couple shows ago about slowing down yeah taking that and just continuing that because i think that's a very positive thing to do is just take things slow i didn't realize how fast i was going and how much i was not enjoying anything and now i'm just slow as a sloth yeah, yeah. I, I thought you were going to say slow as a turtle, but sloth is definitely sufficient for that as well. <laughs> what about you, Chris? Slow like molasses. That's right. Uh, yeah, well, with me, the number one thing that I've taken out through this year is being able to still be able to produce artistic work through depression. Yeah. I was depressed for about a good two months. I had a, I had a friend that committed suicide mm. uh, back in June, and... I was kind of like bumming out. That's why I had referred to it, you know, in the previous episode. Yeah, in the fall, I was bummed out. Well, I was bummed out from the summer up until fall. And to just realize that, hey, I love painting more than a few weeks at. I don't even want to think about that. And so to be able to power through it, uh, to be able to connect, you know, to the to the friends and the family and, and the church, like, you know, that's my safety net. That's probably the number one thing that I've taken through this year. But some of the healthy habits is, just continue to hang out with good people and put yourself in positive environments, you know, to, to have your passion grow. That's cool. For me, uh, one positive thing that I took from last year, um, is family time. You know, I, I, I would, yeah, definitely. I would assess. Definitely. Yeah. Kind of, kind of what you said too, Kevin. I, I think I would assess myself to be a pretty, pretty cool little family guy. 
Um, but because everyone was home more often, kids, you know, obviously aren't going to school. They're doing distance learning, doing Zoom school. Uh-huh. Uh, we spent a lot more time together. And it was, you know, I mean, I'm not going to lie. There are times we were just like, dude, I, just, I need to get away. And so, you know, I love Marissa, you know, my wife. She she says, look, you know, you need to go. Let me let me watch the kids for a couple hours. Go and drive around and do whatever and vice versa. And because so, we need those times of separation. But. Oh yeah, everybody does. Yeah, but you know that's one positive thing. We we I think we've grown closer together. I I, I think my boys, all three, uh, grew closer together this year, and so that's that, that was a neat thing uh, to experience and watch that growth. And I think one of the habits that I'm looking to implement this coming year is to keep powering through um, in creativity. And yes. I agree too. Yeah, and this podcast has really been a catalyst for continued creativity. Um, I've continued to write more. I mean, whether I, I post it on social media or not, I've I've filmed a lot more poetry. Um, yeah, and so just powering through. And even if I feel like just blah, if I feel like you know, yeah, the the year is starting off like really slow, I'm gonna power through and just you yeah. know let the creativity flow. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much a general attitude for just society in general. Yeah. Everyone's kind of feeling that lethargy, and we're just like, "Come on, let's do this." Yeah, you know, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, before we get on to our show, uh, yeah, I'd like to uh, remind everybody again: go ahead and join our Instagram account. It's at breathe.podcast and join our community. Spread the word. We're looking forward to learning with you, meeting you. And uh, yeah, having our community grow. And that's at breathe.podcast. Speaking of that, while you're also doing that, you can head on over to the Patreon page under Derek Engoy, and you can specifically support this podcast and help cover some of the costs to keep it running. By the way, because of the support we got on the Patreon, we were able to to purchase a brand new microphone. Yeah. yeah. So Yes, thank you. Yeah, so yeah. I, I do want to reiterate, thank you, supporters of the Patreon page. Um, Definitely. We, we did get a microphone. Yes, thank you very much. Yeah, for Chris specifically. Yeah. You know, we're doing this show remote, and we're all in different locations. In the prior episodes, Chris was just using his earbuds on his phone. And, you yeah. know, he got a little upgrade. He got a little microphone. Why don't you I, give us a little I, test? I feel, so legit. I feel so legit, everybody. Yes. <laughs> Too no legit to tin, quit. No more, no more tin can and string. That's right. We're keeping it real now. Hey, I'm going to, in post-production, I am going to, meet your request and put on some uh, MC Hammer. Well, I don't know. Oh, we to might, legit? We might, have yeah. to, we might have to do some royalties, so I might like, hey, 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 do my version. Cue the geese. Cue the geese. <laughs> right, let's cue <laughs> the geese. Let's cue the geese. Thank you, Patreon supporters, for the microphone. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, step on. I can just hey, feel the enthusiasm of that one. Can you just tell it? Hey, don't add a yeah. on this show. Don't step on the cat. <laughs> oh, man. Fun times, fun times. So, hey, listen. Party up in here. This past week, I had the wonderful privilege of interviewing our very first poet, a guest of the season. Um, and we talked about a bunch of different things. Um, but one of the things that we spent a lot of time on was the support her particular church showed toward the larger community. And in the midst of a lot of religious neglect towards specifically the LGBTQIA plus community, Alexandria, her priest showed yes. a lot of support and solidarity toward those who were being shunned by the church at the time uh, because of their life choices and their gender identification. So before we dive into her interview, I wanted us to have a conversation around that. 
um, because our conversation that I had with Alexandria brought up some thoughts again, like that I'd like to discuss uh, before we get into that. So one question that I have yes. for us to, and maybe Chris, you can start off. Um, how important, sure. how important is it for a community or a neighborhood to have the support of places of faith? Oh man, it's more important than anything. Cause if you don't have the support of the community, you almost have nothing. Mm. Uh, I mean, these are the people that are going to feed the energy and the time, and you're going to, you know, learn the certain principles uh, of the church to be able to spread it out in your community. That's everything. Yeah. Because if it's not spreading out to your community, it's like, what do you do? Yeah, yeah. You know, you're you're hoarding the love, hmm. and it's and, and and with the community, you know, that's that's where you can start, you know, spreading out and and being able to, you know, share and give, which is which is what we're supposed to do. Yeah, that's good. What about you, Kevin? How important is it for for a community or a neighborhood to have the support of places of faith like churches? Well, I can answer it by saying that when I've had situations where I've had places of faith with support, and then I've seen situations where they haven't, and and it's much more positive when you have places of faith that support because they they can become like a common ground or common denominator, or or a, as I guess I would say a a, a neutral ground. Yeah for yes. neighbors to meet. And especially as we had mentioned with churches, holiday festivals, things where the churches do things for the neighborhood. Yeah. It gels the neighborhood together. You, you meet people there that, that wouldn't talk otherwise come there and then they just have a community. And so it's, I think it's very important that places of faith are places where you can, you can come and get their support and they can support the neighborhood. Yeah. It, it's this yes. whole, whole, Right. The whole notion we just got through Christmas. Right. And it's this whole idea of Emmanuel. Right. Jesus with us. Right. God didn't just like rule from the heavens. He he came into human existence. He came down to us. And so instead of churches saying, hey, come to me, come to us, you know, come to our Sunday services. Uh, it's equally important to, for the churches to go to 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 create opportunities to serve the community and even to support, you know, going back to the question. Yes right, to support in any way possible, which kind of brings up the next question that I want to kind of dialogue with you guys is, you know, how can a church still support, right, pockets of the community when perhaps maybe ideologies or philosophies differ without compromising their core convictions? What do you guys think about that? Oh, actually, I was, when, you, when I saw that, when I heard that question, I was like, oh, I love that one. Yeah. Because in Christianity, we're taught compassion, right? Right. And Jesus has that. So we should have no judgments on anybody regardless of what they're doing. Yeah. Right. And so if Jesus lives that way and we call ourselves Christian, mm. we better live that way too. Yeah. So it should not matter regardless. Yeah. yeah. And and yeah. that's what I've learned. And I think that's what kind of pushes non-believers away is because, oh, these people are kind of being all of us self-righteous or maybe they only associate with their own kind because when I was a non-believer, that's the way I felt. Yeah. But now I kind of realized, you know, kind of what Kevin was saying, it's all about the community. It's everybody's kind of dropping their guard. Everybody's kind of showing their weaknesses, showing their scars, and showing, hey, I'm human. And you know what? I could get down with that. I'm human too. And you just start bonding from a place of hurt. But you guys are actually, you know, everybody's kind of building each other up. And that's that's Jesus. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's awesome. Yeah. I'm totally down with that. Yeah. What about you, Kevin? I've seen it in a different light. Um, I was involved with a project called Blakenstein, which we, we were actually ministering to of the heavy metal crowd and we look differently mm -hmm. and I played a character called the storyteller. And I just think about what that is there is we, we 
we took our faith into places where people who were, you, a lot of times would go there, wouldn't darken the door of a church, but we went there and we used music as a medium. But, but a lot of the times in our songs, it talked about the rapture and biblical uh-huh. themes. And so we were able to minister to them and be with them. And there's a lot of times I realize is that, that, People out there, especially in clubs, that places that wouldn't even darken the door of a church, they're hungry people. Yeah, they're hungry for compassion and love, and 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 they just they just want a hand to be handed out to them. And I say nowadays, people are starving for compassion. Yeah, especially yes. with this quarantine. They're a- yeah, absolutely. And connection. Yeah, connection and understanding. Yeah, and and you know. There's nowhere in the in the scriptures that tells us that we have to agree with everybody, but we definitely are called to, like you said, Chris earlier, to have compassion uh, on others. You know, and so you can you can do life, you can you know intermingle with people you disagree with, and that's that's perfectly fine. You know, yes. Uh, and just because you disagree with someone doesn't mean you can't support them, you can't serve them, and really, as believers, and, and specifically from the faith of Christ. Um, that's what he, you know, taught his followers and ultimately continues to teach through the church, you know, in, in fact, yeah, we, uh-huh. well, I was gonna say, in fact, you know, the most quoted Bible verse is John three sixteen, right? For God so loved the world uh-huh. that he gave his only son, uh, and so on and so forth. But mm-hmm. the verse immediately after that in verse 17, right? It says, for God did not send the son, uh, his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save yes. the world through him. Right. And so I think religiosity has a way of condemning folks because they think differently because they may not um, live life the way that religiosity would dictate, you know? And so we have a humanity. We have this tendency to want to condemn for being different. Um, Yes. And man, can you just imagine if the world's believers and, and, you know, I, I could, I can generically say everyone, but if we just started off, as a believing community, those who follow Jesus to just lead more with compassion, to lead more yeah. with love. And, and, and again, not to compromise truth. Cause you know, we're, we're called to preach the truth and love. Um, I, I think the world would be such a better place, you know, if, if, we, oh, yeah. if we led that way. Yeah. We also have to keep in mind too, like Jesus hung out with some outcasts. He was, you know? Yeah. And so we, we had to forget that as, yeah. as a, as a believing community. And, you have to remember who he hung with. He's not hanging with kings. He's not hanging with rich dudes. He's hanging with leper. You know, like yeah. he's hanging with basically everybody that's been pushed out of society. Yeah. And, you know, it, there are so many, like you're saying, Chris, there are so many examples in Jesus's life where he was hanging out with folks that just the religious leaders wouldn't be caught dead hanging around with. And exactly. It was, yeah, it was. You could never understand why he was hanging around with them. He, he they, they didn't. They didn't understand that, but he was out yeah. with them. Yeah, I mean, he, he was known as a friend of sinners, you know, and, you know, it, it, and he even said it like, look, it's not the healthy who needs a doctor, right? It's the yeah. sick. And so you can't, you can't save people if you're, if you're trying to do it from a distance, you know? And so going back to the question, right, it, it's important, I, I think, not I think, I know, it's important that as communities of faith really find ways to support their communities and, and, and you know, specifically with the, you know, the LGBTQIA community, um, you know, I know that's a hot topic even till this day amongst churches, uh-huh. you know, and, you know, I think 
I, I would say, as I've spoken with different leaders, different denominations, different Christians, it's split down the middle on how um, the believing community feels. And man, uh-huh. I mean, you know, the church at large may not agree with the lifestyles led um, by those in that community, but man, yeah. um, the support, that doesn't mean we can't support them in the ways. Exactly. Because there are so many um, folks that I know um, who are either uh-huh. gay or lesbian um, who just have been neglected, have been shunned, and a lot of them were former believers. And yeah. the reason why they stopped following, or I shouldn't say following Jesus, because I think if we're being honest, I have a lot of gay and lesbian friends who follow Jesus. Uh-huh. It's just they stopped going to church because they were pushed away um, for, yeah. for, for who they were, you know? Uh-huh. Um, and so in a case like that, it's like, you know, how do we support them? How do we show love to people who think differently than we do? Uh, and, and still, you know, it, it's like we, it's like for the longest time, and maybe we've turned the corner a little bit um, uh-huh. as, you know, the years go on, but man, it's like, Hey, you got to clean yourself up before you come into church. And that's been the mentality for so long. And, and again, this conversation is moving away towards, you know, the particular topic we've been discussing, but when it comes to like sin, for instance, I mean, uh-huh. the mentality was, Hey, you need to clean yourself up first before you can come to God. And it just doesn't work that way. Yeah. You know, I mean, no one, <laughs> no one would be in a community with God if they had to clean themselves up first, because it's near, near impossible to do that without him. Oh yeah. And yeah. People get yeah. Stuck in that mentality that they have to clean themselves up and, and they never come to the realization that God loves you how you are. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And you start learning, you start living that earthly life. Yep. Yeah. From right then on there, right. When you start saying, I got to be clean before I go, oh, yeah, that's you're already, you're already losing right there. That's right. Yeah. That's great. So, With that being said, guys, sit back, grab some coffee or tea, and enjoy our conversation with spoken word artist Alexandria Espinoza. All right. Today, we have our very first poet of season two uh, coming to the show. She currently has a book out available at all of the book retailers, including Amazon. The book is called Adventure in the Unicorn. And you know what? Let me read her bio actually from that book. Uh, You'll hear from her in a little bit, but it simply says this. Alexandria Espinosa is a first generation Chicana feminist poet based in Los Angeles. She began writing in 2014 and completed the Community Literature Initiative Poetry Program at USC in 2017. In 2018, she competed in the Size It Up Amateur Women's Poetry Slam and published the book you are holding today. She has shared her work through reading and performances across the greater Los Angeles area. And Alexandra and I met a few years back through my work as a staff member of the Definitive Soapbox. Her book bio, seriously, though, doesn't capture how fire she is on the mic and with the pen, but I'm super excited to have her on the show. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Alexandra Espinosa to the show. Alexandra, welcome to the podcast and thanks for coming on today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm a bit winded now after reading all of that. There's a <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay. I have my bios out there too, and I think mine's actually a lot longer. And so, um, no, I just thought it'd be a cool way to introduce yourself. And of course, we're going to hear from you. 
Uh, but let's 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 dive into this. You ready? Yeah, let's go for it. All right. So really simple. What we ask our guests every single show. This is your bio moment. I know I just read off your book bio, but tell us a little bit a uh, little bit more about yourself, your upbringing, your maybe even faith background. What makes you tick? You know, what gets you out of out of bed in the morning? I mean, who is Alexandria when she's not writing or behind a microphone? Okay. Uh, my name is Alexandria. Uh, I am a mother before everything. I am a realtor, mm-hmm. an author, a poet, and I'm actually an officiant. So, like, I'm like a registered minister with, like, you know, ooh, online is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, so I am a first generation Chicano feminist. I was born and raised in Los Angeles County area. Uh, both my parents uh, are Mexican. They grew up, um, and I grew up in a very strong Catholic household. Um, you know, we have like rosaries and crosses all over the house, uh, candles that are like next to pictures where, uh, you know, you're praying for your loved ones and asking for protection. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to private school from kinder all the way to my senior year in high school. So I have a very strong faith in upbringing in that. Um, let's see. Um, my dad a, used to. That's a Catholic school, I assume. Yes, Catholic school. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to St. Pius X in Santa Fe Springs, and then I went to St. Joseph High School. It's an all-girl Catholic high school in Lakewood. Okay. So uh, that's probably where, like, I get, like, you know, all, like, my yay women and empowerment, all which women are capable of. Um, yeah. So growing up, uh, my dad would read to my sister and I, since we shared a room, he would read us to bed. And he read a lot of books to us, but he would, what I remember mostly is he would read to us uh, Greek mythology. Mm. And he read to us the Bible. So he's like read the Bible to us, I think, like three times when I was younger. And it got to the point where we would ask him to read certain scriptures mm-hmm. from the Bible um, before bed. And then we would discuss, you know, whatever we had read or whatever we had listened to. Um, going to school, my mom would drive us to school and um, we would pray in Spanish because she wanted us to learn how to recite our, you know, our fathers and our Catholic Marys and our Gorbys in English and in Spanish. Yeah. And um, it's actually kind of funny because I find it, I find that when I pray in Spanish, that my prayers feel like they're more powerful. Like whenever I speak in Spanish and I pray in Spanish, I feel like God can hear me better. I don't know. It's just like a weird thing. I guess because it's more intentional. You know, I have to remember the prayers. I have to, because I don't pray them all that often, but when I do, I have to make sure that uh, I do it completely mindfully, you know? And so to me, it sounds, it sounds stronger when I pray in Spanish. I feel like my prayers are stronger. Yeah. That's fascinating. Cause you know, as a minister, you know, I, I've, you know, spoken at different places and where English wasn't the first language and I, mm-hmm. I, I'd agree, you know, I didn't understand a word that <laughs> folks were saying in their native tongue, but you're right. It does sound a lot more intense and I would even say more passionate. Um, and again, I'm just going based off of sound and, but I am, mm-hmm. I imagine there's a lot of emotion and connection behind what I'm hearing. And so, um, yeah, just from a sound perspective or just from the outside looking in, um, I would, I would affirm that. And, 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 you know, I don't, I can't speak my native tongue. Um, but I've, I've heard folks speak in Tagalog and even Ilocano, which is the dialect my, my parents are from. And yeah, it sounds a lot more <laughs> intense. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, that we do have like colonialism. That is the reason why we have so much, you know, Catholic, like the policies rooted in, you know, the culture of like Hispanic culture and stuff. But um, I'm like totally okay with, you know, being Catholic and everything. Like, yeah. I'm not like, no, Catholic Catholicism or whatever. Um, but yeah, during my fourth through eighth grade year, I was an altar server. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I was like full on go into serving to Christ, and I did all that stuff um, from like sixth to eighth grade. Uh, they ended up pulling me out of my religion classes every Wednesday, but I would also serve for all the funerals. So I like went to a lot of funerals, mm-hmm. um, and that was like a part of my religion grade since I was the go to person for that. Um, and the priest and I, we would talk about like, you know, we would talk about like faith and love and life. Um, and then, like, eventually I ended up working, like, quinceañeras and weddings and stuff like that. And I get I get tips for that. So I was like, yeah, I can make money on the weekend. <laughs> well, like a little kid. Yeah. As long as it didn't interfere with, like, my basketball, my practices, my tournaments, my games, and everything else. Um, and then in high school, uh, you know, I went to St. Joseph. I would also go to um, church every Sunday. I went to church every Sunday since I was a little kid. Yeah. Um, and then I also was a part of the youth group for my church it was called youth come together and um the priest that was uh you know our priest our main priest that was there he was very involved with the youth group and with our mentor um and he was the priest that you know i would talk to younger and um he was a real ally for the lgbtqia community mm-hmm. um and the mentor that was leading the group he was actually um uh, you know he was gay and so we actually learned about how you know the faith and you know because catholicism is really not inside you know not very friendly and accepting to our brothers and sisters in that community um but our our father our priest at the time was mm-hmm. and so it was just great to have that allyship um, and great for that they were involved and uh my the priest at the time father mark he's now bishop mark trudeau i don't like because <laughs> he's now Bishop Mark Trudeau instead of just father. Mm-hmm. Um, he would call us like a new age Catholic. It was kind of con- funny because uh, when I would talk to him, he'd always be like, Alex, like, what do you think God is? And I would always say, I believe God is love. Mm-hmm. You know, And if we do things for and with love, we do things that God wants us to do. You know, like yeah. in the scripture, it says that, um, you know, children are the closest thing to God and all they know is love, you know. Now, did you feel the tension at all having a priest who was affirming um, of the LGBTQIA community with the entire scope of Catholicism at the time? Or or was it one of those things where it just wasn't, I mean, locally, as you experienced it, it wasn't a big deal? Or did you feel that tension? No, we felt the tension because Mm. there was a rift in the community and in the church. And then eventually... You know, the older people in the church were okay with it. Um, some kids came out to their parents, and we were there with them, praying for them, you know, whenever they were going to come out to their parents. And even though their parents were reluctant, they saw how the church was okay with it, and they ended up being okay with it. Yeah. Um, you know, they were a little more open to it, um, which was great at the time. And so, then when uh, Father Mark had to leave, another priest came in, and he was kind of more traditional. So that kind of like um, turned me away from the church. But even though I still believe 
you know, in the practices and everything. Yeah. I was going to ask, um, so in that experience, um, before father Mark left, did you notice folks who came out to their parents? Did that draw them even closer to God or because it did. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because they felt accepted because they were, they were in our youth group. And so they thought that, you know, we were still accepting of them. The church was accepting of them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know, the priest at the time, he was accepting to them. He talked to them. He prayed with them. He would even sit down with the families and they would, you know, openly talk about, you know, how the kid or how the children, um, you know, how they are, who they are, you know? Yeah. And, uh, it was very affirming That's to see that and see that, you know, the acceptance of love. Yeah. Cause I've seen and experienced so many folks from the, at least from the Protestant side of Christianity where, um, you know, churches were, and, and leadership were very, um, rejecting. Um, and it, yes. it, it pushed a lot of people away from not just church, but it pushed them away from faith in God, unfortunately. Um, and I yes. hear your story and, you know, we're hearing more and more, um, you know, praise God for that. We're hearing more and more churches that are more affirming and, and more willing and accepting, um, of the community and it just it was it's just heartbreaking to to see um people leave the faith specifically for that reason for not feeling accepted and as you said not feeling loved and embraced for who they are and so it's 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 neat to hear how you had a a positive experience in that um season of your life yeah it was great um and like I just, you know, but I am Mexican and both my parents are born in right into Mexico mm-hmm. and they came here. Um, so there is like that superstition <laughs> that I believe in as well, you know, like uh, energies and, you know, um, yeah. spirit worlds and stuff. So, um, like, uh, my mom would probably kill me if I were to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> Hopefully she doesn't listen to this podcast because um, she doesn't express to admit these things, but like, uh, like I come from a line of curanderas, which is like, you know, a spiritual worker. Um, and like rest her beautiful soul, she was my queen, you know, and she could see things and read cards and not like the little tarot cards where like you had the instructions like, oh, this is what this means, you know. Yeah. She would actually like see things and different possibilities and like what's happened before, what's happening now and what could possibly happen. And those are things that like no one had told her about but she could see them and read them um, one of the good family friends of ours he can read tea leaves and espresso cups which is really cool mm. and so, um yeah and so like he read my espresso cup and that stuff happened years later he told me about it and i was like oh my gosh he, he knew and like he told me about this so like i believe in those things yeah and you know i learned uh, different remedies and different rituals um and different um Healing powers through, hmm, let me say it, through uh, not modern medicine, but through different things. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like um. So yeah, it is in my blood to believe in those things. Um, you know, uh, we would we watch El Walter Mercado all the time in our house, and he's you know all about astrology. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if you know him or whatever or heard about him. And he did, he'd say, like, at the very end of his show, but sobre todo, mucho, mucho amor, which is, like, above all, lots and lots of love. Um, so I learned about that. 
and, you know, different traditions, like, you know, you got to wear certain colors for bringing the new year and, like, sweep things out and funding and, you know, your stage and your, all of those things. So I did grow up with those types of things and how to ward off different, you know, evil eyes and stuff, but, yeah. but there's different ways to say it. Um, so in a nutshell, <laughs> I am, have a strong faith. Yeah. I believe I'm a very spiritual person. I still practice Catholicism. Mm-hmm. Uh, my daughter uh, practices Catholicism as well. But I do share with her different religions and different outlooks in life. Um, so she goes to a private school as well, a private Catholic school. Uh, she is an altar server. We were both baptized. Uh, and so she was, it's so cute because I don't give like my face, like, you have to be Catholic. But she's like all Catholic in her own thing. Yeah. Like, she loves Christ, she loves God, she's like, Jesus is my hero, God <laughs> is my homeboy, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, like, my life revolves around her, and uh, that's what gets me up in the morning. Yeah, so I know you mentioned it briefly a little bit, but um, let me ask it this way, um, point blank, who is God to Alexandria? Uh, God is love. Good. Uh, we do things all in love, and we are doing God's work. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, so let's switch gears to writing and poetry. Um, tell us a little bit about how you got into it, how long you've been writing, um, not necessarily and specifically to, toward your professional career, but like, you know, how long have you been writing? When did you get into poetry first? You know, things like that. When, when did you recite your first spoken word piece? Um, yeah, let's talk about your, your roots in writing and poetry. No, you are not pretty. You are not beautiful. You, you are luminous as a sun. The hundred billion stars in the Milky Way cannot compete to the phenomena shown through your blissfully innocent expressions. Perseverance is in your heart. You are the revolving magnetic field. All life gravitates and orbits around you, hoping to entertain your attention. Magic. It radiates through your laughter. It's a joyous combustion, a constant explosion, a thunderous plasmatic ecstasy. Your happiness, it feeds my soul. You rise every day and light up those near you with your compassion, understanding, and grace. The living thrive in your presence. Be valiant, baby girl. Grasp that true beauty is not measured through comparison of others. It is not a mathematical equation that can be taught through magazines or social media outlets. Realize that physical appearance fades and you are timeless in a society driven by rapid fads. Your integrity and self-worth will burn bright. Explore in your great beyond throughout life. Challenge and take positive risks. Use your imagination. Never limit yourself to other people's standards or criteria. Society will be envious of the power you exuberate. Don't let their gloom cloud your spirits, for they do not know that beauty is more than flesh on face and body. And don't forget, I give my life to you, my everlasting purpose, my greatest success. For I put the stars in your eyes, 
the moon in your heart. I will love you forever. So no, baby, you are not pretty. You are above it. Okay, well, um, I used to scribble and write, you know, like every girl or kid, you know, I'm too emo for chemo, like blah, 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 my feelings, like, you know, even though like you're a kid, you don't really know what's going on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I would do that. And then I stopped doing that. Um, I did write a short novel that I want when I was younger. And I said, I wanted to publish this book. It was funny because it was about three witches. Um, and then um, I stopped writing and I focused more on everything else that I was doing you know I was very much into basketball and uh, I was a part of you know like the church group I was also very involved in school I was in the Italian club I was uh, the chess team I did the debate team I did um, basketball uh, all throughout my life I even coached basketball and I refereed for it too and then um I got injured, so my scholarships went away. I was in the yearbook committee. I did peer counseling, which is a youth group for the school that I was at, for the high school I was at. And we would um, we went to different like um, seminars to help kind of uh, mediate and be like mini therapists mm-hmm. for the kids at school because uh, you know sometimes they don't want to talk to adults, but they would rather talk to their peers. So it's called a peer helper. Yeah. And, you know, if anything were to talk about, like, self-harm or anything like that, then we would have to direct it to our school therapist yeah. or our school counselor. Um, and then that way we could help, you know, bring that allyship to one adult, and that way they don't feel so shut out. Um, so that happened. Sorry. Sidetracking. Um, so then I stopped writing, and um, I had my daughter at a very young age. And, um, and then I stopped going to school. And then I got out of the relationship with her father, and it was a mental, emotional, and sexual abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. And I was just angry a lot of the time. And uh, my sister, Hiroselli, or I call her Chetty, mm-hmm. if you hear me call Chetty, that's my sister. She lives in Oakland. She went to, um, she was going to San Francisco uh, to study in art. So she was going to San Francisco Institute of Art, SFAI. Um, so she was leaving, but she was a part of uh, Eric Morago's poetry group that was that uh, half-off book that when it was up in Uptown Whittier uh, before they moved to Fullerton. So she said, you want to know, Alex, like, you need to create an outlet. Uh, just come with me to this thing. Take a night off and just try it. And so then I did it, and that was back in 2014, and I fell in love with it. I had some amazing people in that group. Mark Stid was one of those people in the group. Mm-hmm. Uh, Elma, Raquel, Campos, um, Boris, uh, J.L. Martindale, uh, and of course Eric. And those people were just phenomenal writers, and they were the ones that I fell in love. I fell in love with them before I fell in love with poetry. Mm. Um, and so I was very nervous when we had at the very end of it, we had to like kind of share like at the open mic that they had, um, and I didn't want to do it. Um, and then I did like a little bit and then that was it and then I'm a very shy person I know I don't seem like it but I am very shy <laughs> when you first meet me I will like not talk um, and then I went back to my sister was like oh I'll go with me to this open mic in the city of Bell called Alivia Open Mic or it wasn't called Alivia at the time but it's uh, in the city of Bell um, my friend Eric is the one that opened that space in his parents' garage because there was no space available in um, Southeast LA. Mm-hmm. 
So, um, you know, Lady Glasgow told him, like, you know, if there is no space for it, like, create it. And so he created it in his garage. And um, that's where I shared my first real piece, oh. like, which was a healing piece of, like, um, you know, about the sexual, mental, and uh, emotional abuse that I had been through. And that was where I really felt safe and felt like I could just be me. Yeah. So I did have my book release there to kind of do, like, a full circle. Yeah. Um, but through that, I went and kept going there and kept reading. And then I met Quamel mm-hmm. through there. Um, and then Quamel was like, hey, you're pretty dope. Like, let's exchange numbers and let's write together. So we ended up going to, like, IHOP and we would just, like, write and eat. And they had different poems. And then um, I kept going to different, like, workshops and getting a little bit more into it because my sister left me. And I was like, well, I really like having this creative outlet. It's kind of healing me and helping me you know, build my self-esteem and just, um, you know, and just giving me faith in myself and, like, growing as a person. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Kwame was like, hey, uh, apply for this program, uh, you know, CLI, Community Literative, Community Literative Initiative, which is uh, through a program through USC. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I said, okay, well, whatever, what do I got to lose? And so then I applied for it. And then I got an interview and then I got accepted. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's pretty cool. This program is like about a nine, 10 month course where you end up learning about poetry, writing it, revising it, and learning the whole process of, uh, you know, building your first book and having the whole entire manuscript. And then um, at the very end of it, you pitch your, your manuscript to different local um, small presses and you do that whole thing, which is pretty cool and pretty awesome. But then you can also just like, since you already built this one type thing, you can even self-publish, and that's how I ended up publishing myself for my first book. Yeah. So let's talk about that um, a little bit more. So talk to us about the book, Adventure of the Unicorn. Um, you know, w- what can readers expect when they get the book? Um, maybe talk about just the whole overall experience of you self-publishing, um, shopping it around. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. Okay. Um Adventure the Unicorn is my first book of poetry. Um, it's, I love it and I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it because it's my first book of poetry. It's like a labor of love. Um, that experience was funny because I lost my manuscript in the middle of it. But I was like two months out before I had to print it out and everything. And I lost my manuscript on the USB that like the little bit that it was on. I had to rewrite everything. So there's poems that I lost and I had to write new poems and just format it differently. It was great. I I had so many people help me out through it and I learned a lot. It opened so many doors. I never thought that it would. You know, it was a big risk for me to just self-publish and put my name out there. And um, I will say that poetry was a great investment. I paid myself back for my investment. Plus, I was able to use whatever profit I had and everything to uh, pay my way for real estate. So poetry paid for my real estate, wow. which was really good. Yeah. And so I can get my licensing, all my schooling and all that stuff done. So it was a great investment for my next business adventure. So yeah, it has touched me in so many different ways and just hearing different people tell me things like people like have read my book and then they've come up to me and they're like, Oh my gosh, this and this and this. I'm like, who are you? And how do you know me? And <laughs> how do you know all these intimate details about me? <laughs> so yeah. So like I've, I've got such an amazing 
support a group of families through poetry. And it's a great experience. And everyone that has been there for me has um, really impacted my life. And they really, you know, when they say, like, the people that come into your life are the ones that need to be there and stay, like, my poetry family is amazing. And, like, I love them so much. And, you know, I'm always learning from them. And just, it's great. Yeah, that's so cool. Now, 2020 has been one for the books. I mean, you know, it, it seemed like Kobe's death kind of unraveled everything in 2020. Um, creatively, though, how how have you stayed creative during the COVID era? At the end of last year, 2019, I had attempted to kill myself. I had never told people this. Um, so 2020, I was I, I admitted myself into St. Joseph Hospital in Orange County. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was in the outpatient program because I had to pick up my daughter and do all those things. Um, I really had to take care of myself. So when the pandemic hit, I had all those um, resources on how to do my own therapy and like work through it. But my daughter was having a really hard time. Yeah. And um, so I had to really focus on her. You know, some days she would just cry. Other days she would, you know, be angry. And just, I had to be there supportively for her. So what I did, um, like I used to meal prep um, and she got tired of me meal prepping is I ended up using my creativity to kind of just use my creativity in the kitchen. And I feel like I went to the court on Rona and I can be a master chef now. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'm serious. Like if you've seen my stories on Instagram, like I have posted like a bunch of different foods that we did or that I've done. And I call it like, I'm a lunch lady special. Like, breakfast edition, yeah. you know. So uh, that's how I kept uh, creativity going for her. Um, also, just trying to, me and her, and there's not like a lot of kids, so just trying to find different games for us to play and do and make everything a little bit bigger than what it should be yeah. just for her to just feel happiness and fun, you know? Yeah. Because scary times and kids get scared and they miss their friends and I feel like people always forget about the little kids. Yeah. Know? So. One, I just want to, you know, commend you and and thank you for sharing that part of your life. I mean, I've been open about my struggles with depression, anxiety, and even suicide. And so it's not always an easy thing to talk about. Um, But I, and maybe you feel the same way, but it just, in my experience, as I talk about it more and more, um, it becomes easier to talk about. And every step of the way, I I, I experience a little bit more healing. So thank you for sharing that little bit about your life. And it takes a lot. And I just want to thank you for that. Yeah. 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 So, um, you know, the depression, anxiety, and uh, agoraphobia. So I was okay with staying at home. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, and then it, I think it's great too, um, with your focus on your daughter. I mean, I being a, a, a father of three boys, yeah, I get it. My youngest, he's going to be eight soon. And I think he took it the hardest as far as the social Mm -hmm. distancing, because I would say he's more of the social butterfly, I guess, if you will, of all of them. And he took it really hard and it didn't help at the time that COVID hit. We were also transitioning out of our church into a new season. And so that was like taken away from him and it was really tough. And so I get it. We, you know, we also did, you know, things extra extravagant, you know, just for him to be him. And you know, it, you're right. I think a lot of times we forget about our little ones and what they're going through and not realizing that they're also more than likely 100% experiencing anxiety as well. And we need to tend to that. So 
um, I think it's neat that you recognize that in your daughter and really made time for her. Yeah. Yeah. So, so speaking of COVID, you recently, or I guess you're currently somewhat recovering from the virus. Um, can you share a little bit about your experience? Cause I know that, you know, it's all over the, the map with people, you know, some people's symptoms are really mild. Um, from what I know and from what you've described, it was more on the extreme end of not being mild. It was on the opposite end of that. Can you share your experience and then maybe give your PSA to the general body about the virus and just kind of Share your process through um, the, the recovery process. Yeah, so I can for sure share with you. Uh, wear your mask. Yeah. Wash your hands. Stay away from people. Um, I know when this hit, we had stayed home a lot. Like I even, I got my daughter a puppy because she needed some emotional support. That was our first puppy ever. But what people need to realize is that like it hit us hard. And, and it was just because one, my mom's supervisor uh, was reckless and she went to work sick. And that's Mm -hmm. how we got sick. And it wasn't just my mom got sick, but my mom, my dad, my daughter, I got sick. She went to go, my daughter went to go see her dad and their whole family got sick. You know, Uh, it was a very scary experience and we had been extremely cautious in what we were doing. So my mom's first symptoms that showed up were on October 27th, 2020. Um, She felt a little under the weather, like she had like a a cold. So she, you know, made the responsible, the responsible choice of not going to work that day Mm. until she felt better. Work said that she had um, she had to bring a note on Thursday because, or get a note for Thursday because um, she had been out too many days. So she actually went to her doctors and they told her she can go back to work um, because it just looked like she just had allergies and it just was like a common cold because of the weather change. Mm-hmm. I started having my first signs of um, COVID on October 28th, and it's now December 14th. I went to the ER because I was having a hard time breathing. I have asthma. Mm-hmm. I The days kind of blur together. I ended up sleeping most of the days. We were losing our appetite. Um, I started having a fever, so I would just go into the shower and just have, like, soak in cold bath and take, like, you know, Tylenol. My daughter had a fever at home. She was losing her appetite. We ended up losing our smell. I lost my taste. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I was sleeping most of the days because I just couldn't stay awake. I felt bad because my daughter now knows how to shake my inhalers and knows which ones. I have two inhalers. She knows which ones I need to take first before the other one. Yeah. She's like, are you having a hard time breathing? And she'll get them and run to the run to my stand where I have my own medication and she'll get it for me. Mm. Um, so I went to the emergency room and they said, because I was throwing up and... Um, I was really dizzy and I was having like, you know, brain fog. And um, so they just brought my fever down gave me some medication for, um, for the nausea. And then I went back home, but I still kept throwing up. Um, I was shaking a lot. Uh, my fever wasn't going down. Even if I took a cold bath and even if I took the Tylenol, it wouldn't go down. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to eat. Um, it was, I was having a hard time breathing. I was shaking a lot. 
yeah, I could barely get out of bed. I couldn't even get out of bed. I don't remember much about that day, but my daughter told me, which honestly, she has been such an amazing kid throughout this whole entire process. And I can't imagine what it's like for her to see that, you know, Um, there were three specific times I know that I remember vividly that I didn't think I was going to come out of the hospital. And I was like, I'm going to have to make one of those videos and say goodbye to my daughter. And what am I going to say to her? You don't know what's how your body's going to respond to the virus. Um, it's Russian roulette. Yeah. Uh, so just be safe, honestly, because it was a scary experience. Yeah, well, thankfully, you're still around. Your daughter still has her mama. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I know a lot of people argue, well, yeah, it's taken away our freedoms, blah, 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 blah. But look, we're going to get through it. It's This is not going to last forever. And folks, as, as Alexandra said earlier, just wash your hands, wear your masks, keep social distancing. We'll get through it. And, you know, sure, it's an inconvenience for good part of this year and maybe a little bit of next year, but it's not a forever thing. And so, um, yeah, thank you again for sharing that, um, reliving that. I, sh- I imagine wasn't that easy, but I thank you for, for sharing your firsthand experience with this virus. And um, yeah, thank you. Yes, of course. It's a long road to recovery, but I'm excited yeah. that we are, you know, on the other side of it. Yeah. Uh, kind of wrapping up and circling back to creativity. Um, are there any la- final words or last minute thoughts or even words of advice that you could share um, with someone who's wanting to pursue poetry? Maybe who, you know, was in your shoes uh, a few years ago when, you know, you were timid to get on the microphone, maybe have best practices, but maybe a word of advice to someone who's like, I got a ton of material, but I'm just shy. I, I can't, you know, I don't know what to do. What would you say to that person listening right now who, wants to jump in, but is hesitant because of timidity and, and, and how you could encourage them to, to jump in. Yeah, so if you're pursuing poetry, I would say read. And don't just read poetry. Read anything and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you get different perspectives in life and different points of view, and it'll help with your writing. You ain't going to get another chance. If you're going to go on the mic, go on the mic where you feel mm-hmm. safe. Go on there where you feel that you could be there. Um, Honestly, the people that I have been around and the spaces that I have seen um, are very welcoming and very open to hearing other people and sharing other people's stories. And they are very loving to newcomers. (laughs) Um, Poets are the soul of the world. So right from within, (laughs) right from within, um, you know, we're the ones that are taking everything in and feeling everything. So be very powerful with your emotions and things and right close to the nerve, but don't sever it. And um, you want writing to be about healing and not destroying you. Mm, That's so good. Be forgiving with yourself. Sometimes you aren't going to want to write and that's okay. And some days you're going to want to cancel all your plans, all your plans. Um, Like, you know, when you go back to normal and you're going to want to just, right and then that's okay too like just do you be authentic um take all the workshops possible because so many people have so many things to teach so be a student of poetry Mm, that's good Um, always learn that's so good thank you for sharing that um (laughs) so we do this thing with every guest we did it all last season (laughs) we decided to bring it back it's called lightning round You, you down to play okay 
All right, so how lightning round works is I'm going to give you 10 sets of two choices, and it's going to go quick. I'm going to spit it out, and you just got a first thought, first reaction, no thinking. You just give me your first gut reaction to these two choices. Good? Is it, is it okay if I say bad words? Sure. <laughs> okay, that's just who I am, but okay, let's go. Yeah, let's go. All right, here we go. Lightning round. <laughs> Coffee or tea? Coffee. Books or Kindle? Uh, Pen or pencil? Pen. Notebook or digital notepad? Notebook. Haiku or sonnet? Uh, Haiku. Ocean or mountain? Ocean. Internal rhyme or end rhyme? Uh, End rhyme. DC or Marvel? Oh, you can't answer that. (laughs) Come on, comic geek. (laughs) Oh my gosh, no, no, this depends. Or Dark Horse. (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, can we do like, you know, where they're like the, you know, the universes collide and stuff? Sure, and one of those sure. <laughs> okay, let's do that. All right. I know. My dad, my dad used to have a comic book store, so you can't ask me that. I grew up with comics. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Trees or plants? Uh, trees. 2019 or 2020? 2020. <laughs> I'm going to say that. Boom, there it is, ladies and gentlemen. Lightning round. Thank you so much for playing. <laughs> I didn't hear any cuss words, so that's... Uh... <laughs> there we go. I was about to with the comic book thing. <laughs> um, yeah, Alexandra, hey, thank you so much for jumping on board on the pod today. Really quickly, can you shout out your socials so people can check you out, check out your work? Uh, where can they find you? Oh, yeah, you can find me on Instagram at alexandria.espinosa. That's for poetry and mom stuff. If you want to talk real estate, it's Alexandria underscore real estate um yeah not really on facebook too much um but if you do go ahead follow or you can add me in alexandria spinoza um but yeah mostly instagram is the easiest thing okay and then don't forget to get her book adventure in the unicorn on amazon and other book retailers you do have a website too yeah i do have a website uh for i was doing it for the beginning of the pandemic i don't know if i i think i have like less than a handful of books i was just giving out my books that people can just read it mm-hmm. you know um but adventure the unicorn is available on my website and also on amazon cool well there you have it folks alexandra espinoza make sure you check her out on social media get her book go to her website connect with her Well, there you have it, Alexandria Espinoza. Guys, what do you think? It was a fascinating interview. Um, but what are your thoughts? Any Anything else that um, you want to extract and dig deeper a little bit from our conversation with Alexandria? Um, what I love about Alexandria is she's just the type of person that you need, you sure know where you stand with her at the very beginning. Yeah. She's the type of person that would let you know just exactly how you are and we need people like that in, in the world. And I think that that the topics that she brought up, especially about the, the LBGQ community and how they were relating together with that particular um, parish and the, the leader there. And then just, just how that fell apart. That broke my heart. Yeah. Because that, there was community connection that could have been there and it, and it, and it just wasted away. and. There were missed opportunity. Yeah, I think. Yeah, and you're right, Kevin. Um, you know, if you know, I, I, I've heard her on the microphone many times, and her poetry is amazing. In that she doesn't hold back. 
you know, yes, she she takes liberty of being creative and uses, you know, her metaphors and similes. But you're right. I mean, I know that we fused in a poem that she did with her daughter um in in the interview, but man, when she does her poems um <clears throat> on open mics or when she features or when she's slamming, man, she's fire. And yeah, she doesn't hold back. She tells you she tells you like it is. And you're right. We need more people who are going to be honest. Um, no filter, no filter at all. That's no right. Filter. And I think at the same time, not only do we need more people who are willing to be honest, but we need more people who are who who are willing to receive it and listen. Again, yeah, we may not agree, but instead of getting hot headed and temperamental, we have to have the ability to to receive people's honesty. Right. Um, uh, with discernment. What about you, Chris? Any thoughts uh, from the interview? Oh, man. My number one thing, I mean, because I have bipolar disorder. So the fact that Alexandria is talking about frequent suicides mm-hmm. and the fact that she was actually willing to be vulnerable about it yeah. and talk about it. And I mean, I, I read, or you know, you listen to the interview, you're commending her. And it's like, yeah, it takes a lot of guts to talk about that. Yeah. And not only that, I mean, she realizes also, too, that this could be hereditary because mm. her daughter's having issues as well. Yeah. And that's just awesome for the fact that she accepts her situation, hers and her daughter's. Yeah. And not only does she accept it, she's willing to understand and, and, and be able to like kind of shape and be a positive role, role model in her daughter's life. Because when I first got diagnosed with bipolar disorder, I'm sitting there wondering what is going on. Mm. And it took me about three to six months to be like, dude, I think I have this. And then so imagine my dad and my, and my family, they're like, dude, is this real? Is this really happening? And so for you to have people within your immediate environment who accept it and understand it, yeah. healing becomes so much better. And I commend her for that and realizing that it could be hereditary. Yeah. And that's awesome. You, you because know- yeah, like, like 50 years ago, I would have got a lobotomy. She would have got a lobotomy. Right. But I just thank you for modern oh, science. Thank you for modern medicine. I would, yeah. I would have been locked up in a straitjacket, straight up. You know, we, we you know you unpacked <laughs> it a little bit um on your episode back in season one, but maybe you can refresh our memories um since it definitely hits personal and close to home for you. What was oh, yeah, it, definitely. what was it like, Chris? Um, you know, you said after the three to six months, you know, do I have this? And when it was finally diagnosed, what was it like for your family? And what was your perception of how your family and and maybe close knit circles received the news that you have this, this mental, um, this mental condition, um, in bipolar disorder? Um, how was it received and how did your family and close knit circle respond to that? Dude, it was crazy. It's like, is this really happening? Mm -hmm. Uh, my dad. I mean, you have to take it to my dad's consideration. Yeah. Like he, he, it's like shoot, man. I'm about to cry. Like just thinking about it all. It's like my brother has leukemia twice. He has a son who has leukemia twice. Mm-hmm. He has a wife who dies at 49, and now he's got a kid with bipolar disorder who's been diagnosed for like 15 years, mm-hmm. and he's just like, dude, am I cursed? And and he saw like the desperate, you know, look in my eye. He knows that, you know, he he ultimately knew that I needed help. I saw the desperation in his eyes when he's just like, we we need to fix something. Like there's something really wrong. And for him to accept it, for my family to accept it, 
it meant a lot to me because I started realizing that I was not going through it alone. Yeah. And I had family visit me from California going all the way to the Philippines just to see my face. Wow. And that meant so damn much. And I feel like I'm isolated, you know, like everybody at that facility hated me because I'm the American, mm-hmm. you know, and and just to see, you know, here I am, I'm getting people crossing the Pacific to visit me and they have family 30 minutes away and they don't even see them. Yeah. They were hating on me. And and just to have my family support me during that time, that made everything so much better. And then from there, it kind of gave me enough courage to be like, get back off, off my feet. Yeah. Get in touch with people and become the true me. And all those steps kind of like lead you to, to me being on the microphone right now because yeah. otherwise I wouldn't talk about it. Yeah. Because I believe I've gone through all this stuff for a purpose. Yeah. And it's for me to talk to people out yeah. there, to talk to you, talk to Kevin. Like, yo, I went through this. I got through it. You can too. And everybody has this inspirational story within their own lifetime that they can lead on that, that can get, that can, that can get them through tough times. Yeah. And so it was really hard. But, but no, I'm, but no, I'm yeah. happy now. Yeah, thanks for re- reliving that, man. It's it's uh, again. Yeah, I have no problem with it. Just like Alexandria, I commend you for sharing that. It's it's tough, and but I imagine your relationship with your dad grew exponentially, yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, we we speak the same love language now. I mean, we both paint. Mm. Uh, before, I mean, he used to always be so quiet. And I'm like, is there something wrong with our relationship? No, it was we weren't speaking the same language. Mm. And now we totally do, and it's to the point where. Like, I'm not even like asking him anymore as a mentor. I, you know, I might refer to him here and there, but he's just like, dude, this guy's doing it on his own now. Like, yeah. he's getting his own art shows. Like, he's doing it. Like, That's you go do your thing. Yeah. And so it's 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 a really it's a really awesome thing. I mean, we're we're both being hung up at the wall at the same time, you know. <laughs> yeah. And it's like that's hanging with pops in an artistic way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that was it, neat. And to, that's awesome. That was neat to see both of your artwork hung up, not just that corridor flow, but even at, um, what was that other one in Long Beach? Wolf's Brew. Yeah. Wolf's Brew. Shout out to Wolf's Brew and, and Corridor Flow, uh, for providing amazing space for, oh, I for love artists. That. I love that to be able to see that. Yeah. So it was really neat to see Over that. Chris. Long Beach. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you yeah. for sharing that. Um, oh, no problem. I have no problem. It's all about being real, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what we're saying. Be human. And hey, I would just, got as human as I possibly could be. Yeah. One thing I appreciated during the interview that I was picking up was, you know, when she had COVID or she's still, you know, uh, you know, recovering, she had it pretty bad uh, compared to uh, some yeah. other people that I know, you know, her whole family got it, her daughter, her, her pops. Um, but the, in the midst of all that, you know, she just kept on thinking about her daughter and uh, you know, how much she just had to get through it for her daughter and, you know, I follow her on social media and I talk to her from time to time and I just see that relationship that she has with her. And it, I appreciate it because it reminded me of my relationship with my boys. And, uh-huh. and I said it at the beginning of the show when we're reflecting on what we want to, uh, what we, you know, what we're able to take from 2020, 2020 and it was family time. And, you know, I, 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 I've seen my kids in a different light and, you know, I'm seeing the joy even more. I mean, I, you know, I, I would see the joy exude from them prior to COVID, but because we've been 
And I think it, it, it's it's somewhat to what you're saying with you and your pops there, Chris. Like I'm be, I'm being able to see and p- being able to speak their love language as well. Um, yeah. You know, from a dad's perspective, it's like, no, you need to speak uh, mine. Let me show you. I'm going to teach you the ropes. But yeah, you know, when it comes to just like hanging out with Ezra, playing video games, or sitting there yeah. with with Jude as he's doing stop motion on his tablet. You know, or sitting there just cuddle, uh, cuddling with Cyrus, right? Just because yeah. Cy, Cy is our cuddler. He's our emotional, affectionate kid. Yeah, yeah, he's kind of quiet. Yeah, and just doing the things they love. I, you know, the other day, we as a family went out to the beach. That's one thing we've been able to do. We figure, hey, it's open air. We're, we're safe. We're maintaining social distance from people. And the spot that we go to isn't very populated anyways. And so... I was watching Ezra out there in the water with Marissa and they were surfing. They're both, you know, learning to surf and man, I, you know, if you've ever surfed, anyone out there listening has ever surfed. I mean, the majority of the time you're just sitting out there waiting for the wave, you know, and you you rarely catch a wave when you're comparing it to the, you know, the entirety of the time out in the water. But even just watching the two of them out there in the water, just laying on the boards, waiting for a wave and seeing the joy. And I can just imagine their conversations that Marissa and Ezra are having, um, you know, and again, it's this appreciation of family. And you hear that in Alexandria's relationship with her daughter. Um, and I thought it was neat that she, oh, it's all, in, all over it. yeah. And it was neat to include, I think her daughter, um, well, I won't name her daughters by name for the sake of privacy, but, uh-huh. um, you know, to even have her daughter in the poem, you know, that, that we played in the interview was really neat. And so that's one thing I took is, is this idea of family and the importance of family that, that, that is stressed upon Alexandria and you, and you hear it too, not just with her relationship with her daughter, but it just seems like family is a big deal to her with her like extended family, her cousins, even her, you know, oh, yeah. immediate family. And so family's huge. Yeah. yeah. Once you said she's Mexican, I'm like, oh, that's probably <laughs> that's right. family. I think like, yeah. Filipinos, same thing. That's you know? right. And so, yeah, your business is everybody's business. So I'm going to start Anything else, Kevin? Any other things that stood out for you? Two things. One is that that it her interview just removed the stigma off of everything. And I think, and I could relate so well to that because when I was going through the quarantine, I had a stigma of why should I be so anxious? What is this anxiety on there? And my being able to go through professional counseling I was so afraid of doing that because when you go into counseling and you know, you've got something wrong with you, but you, you want to face it, but you don't, it's like, it's like the elephant on your back, Mm. you know, you've got a symptom and you got to take care of it. So when you remove the stigma on it and, and I shout out to my counselor because she just, she hit it on the head when she said, you have anxiety. I have anxiety. Everybody hangs anxiety. So she said, let's get over the hump. You have anxiety. And it just went it, like the, the air went out of the, the stigma. She says, there's no stigma against it. Yeah. And she just quoted biblical verses and it was just so beautiful. And so when you take the stigma out, off of it, and then the other thing I wanted to mention was family time. And what I love about this is before the quarantine, my brother and I weren't very close. Mm-hmm. We were close, but we were distant. Mm-hmm. So quarantine has allowed us. I was able to socially distant, go to his house, and we would sit across along the fire pit. And we had, I think it happened in July, June or July, the most heart-to-heart conversation where he just spilled his heart to me. And, 
and just let loose of some things, even things I didn't know he was holding on to. And then what that did for me is because you know how siblings are, especially older brother, when when he comes across as angry or not angry, but forceful. Now I realize that's his love language to me. When he mm-hmm. becomes forceful or he's, or he's worried, that's him um, expressing love to me. And I never realized that before, but now I do. And it, it's sort of like you said with your kids, you understand their love language. You understand being close to them. You understand things about them that you wouldn't have, you probably would have glossed over before, not because you wanted to, just because you didn't really listen. But now I can picture you just sitting on the beach, just in wonder with, seeing Marissa out there surfing and all your kids and spending the time and, and, and keep doing that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for that. Uh, any other thoughts before we wrap up today's show? Uh, maybe like her, her COVID experience. We have to, we haven't even talked about that. <laughs> I know. huh? I mean, right? She had COVID. Yeah. You know, and she had a near death experience. That's right. And it, and what I wish I was able to do if she was still alive is I mean, I'd, I'd like to know how it affects her her outlook creativity uh, wise. Yeah. Because uh, I have a bass player, a future interview, uh, a friend named Phil Robo, and he had a near death experience in a bike accident. Mm. And it completely changed his outlook on playing the bass. And, yeah. But we'll get into that in the future. But yeah, I would love to hear hers. I mean, even with yours, like when you're coming out of depression, you know, you're coming out of having suicidal thoughts. So it's, it's when you, when you, first jump back into your creative uh, spring, like did it kind of make you appreciate things a lot more? Like, like how, how did it affect you when yeah. you kind of jumped out of it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think, and you'll never know. Right. But I, I feel like I'm yeah. out of it now. I mean, I think the last time I had uh, out with it was pretty, pretty deep and dark. Um, and when I came out of it, you know, and as, as generic as it sounds, um, you know, I had this eye, the lens of appreciation, you know, um, yes, for life itself. I, I, I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. For people, um, you know, shout out to, you know, the organization to write love on our arms. You know, it's a huge, uh-huh. huge organization. They have a, you know, social media presence and, and, and really it's a community that supports those who are going through dep- depression, um, bouts of anxiety and suicide and, you know, I, I have not met any of the team members in that organization, but just the, yeah. the daily inspirations they post on there, the community um, that's been built on there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, too, like another cool thing is it's like you start appreciating your craft a lot more. Absolutely. And you're like, this is my baby. Yeah. Like, don't mess with my baby. Oh, and you protect it as, 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 as much as you possibly can. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's cool. Uh, yeah. Well, One other thing I wanted to mention really, yeah, really go ahead. quick was is um we mentioned we mentioned Boris Cronkite before and <laughs> I just want to say a little bit of how he was created. Yeah, go for it. Is because he was created out of my depression. Mm. Uh-huh. And so the anxiety is is bec- if you look at Boris Karloff, I'll give you some insight into him. That's not his real name. The actor really is William Henry Pratt. He was actually supposed to be in the British Royal Guard or something like that. He chose to be an actor and he pulled that name out of the air, Hmm. became Boris Karloff. And when I first followed Boris Karloff, I was frightened of him. You know, you look at him as Frankenstein and all those scary monsters. But now when you see what the actor 
is in real life, when you look back on those monsters, you realize there's they're born out of depression and you actually feel sorry for Frankenstein. Yeah. Now it's a, it's an evolution. So Boris Cronkite is, he's dry. He's has a sense of humor, but he's dark, but then he's funny. So that's in being in the dark and funny. That's where I'm, I'm comfortable because it, it's like uh. you're behind a mask and I can play a character. There's a, there's a separation. I feel safe there. Yeah. And so that's my, my safe stuff. That's cool. That's awesome. The character comes out of that. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Well, right on guys. Uh, what a great show. Uh, great show to start out. the I, new I agree. year. Yeah. Welcome to 2021. Amazing insights. Uh, and Hey, thanks for tuning in this week. Don't forget to rate and review our podcast. We'll see you on our Instagram page. Breathe dot podcast once again that's at breathe dot podcast until next time be the light extend your hand in love and make peace with someone this upcoming week stay blessed and we'll see you next time peace and happy new year everybody happy new year step on the popcorn ring in the geese Oh my gosh, the geese are running around. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta keep going. Oh my. <laughs>